This is the Tom Bigby Tales, and I'm your host, Shannon Evans. I write about a small town in Lowndes County, Mississippi, along the Tom Bigby River, and I sometimes include outlying areas up and down the Tom Bigby River, specifically in Lowndes County. Today's topic is two stories, murders in the Mississippi Black Belt Prairie. This one is not about Columbus. This is about the outlying area. This episode is graphic and brutal to listen to, and it really ate at my soul as I wrote about it, especially the second story. The first story is about a white slave owner brutally murdered in the woods. The second story is about the murder of an enslaved man who was tortured on multiple levels because he refused to work as a slave. He was brutally murdered by his owner because he refused to bend to the yoke of slavery. He knew he would die for his refusal to work, but he stood his ground, hoping against hope, to escape. He died at the hands of another human, bent on breaking his spirit. That man had a name, and thanks to court records, we now know his name, and it was Aaron and he was known for never bending to the will of his master. Aaron died for that indomitable spirit, but his murderer, a white slave owner in Mississippi, would eventually escape any consequences in the end. But let's start first with the murder of Leroy Shackelford. Leroy Shackelford was a landowner and planter in the Crawford area. He was a land-grant recipient and owned about 200 acres in the Black Belt Prairie west of the <clears throat> Tombigbee River. On Tuesday, June 28, 1842, Shackelford went in the woods on his property where two of his enslaved men, Wiley and Doc, sometimes referred to as Doctor in court records, were, fe were felling timber to be used in the construction of a cotton gin. While Shackelford was stooped over to mark a block of timber recently sawed, Wiley whacked him over the back of his head, and then once he was down, Wiley whacked his owner in the forehead with a mallet. Stunned and nearly unconscious, Shackelford was defenseless as one of the men choked him to death. Worried that the hands plowing the fields just a few hundred yards away on the other side of the woods would hear them. They hid Shackelford's body under some brush a little deeper in the woods. Then they went back to work like nothing had happened after hiding Shackelford's horse and tying him up. The next morning, they returned to the woods as if to continue work on the timber. Instead, they untied the horse, put Shackelford's foot in the stirrup, and had the horse drag his body a quarter mile further in the woods so it looked like a fall from his horse and getting dragged had killed him. Wiley knew he'd be suspected if the horse story did not work. He was known to boast to the other slaves on Shackelford's plantation that given the chance, he'd kill their owner. So Wiley headed north along the Tom Bigby River, allegedly toward the Ohio and Freedom. Doc stayed, was captured hiding on the plantation, and confessed to his part and detailing what Wiley had done. 
And then he took the men who were uh, in a search party to where Shackelford's body and his horse were. John Gilmer, a nearby wealthy planter who was also a county politician in Crawford, as well as the largest stockholder in the Gilmer Hotel in Columbus, and who also owned a large mansion in Columbus called Riverview, a, as I said, very wealthy and very well-respected, was called to chair a court of sorts where Doc was summarily found guilty after his confession and ordered by Gilmer to be hanged for accessory to murder. An execution committee was immediately formed and Doc was hung. Wiley is never captured, but is described in wanted posters in the paper, the Southern Argus, as headed to Ohio, age 26 to 28, six feet tall, copper color, scars on his elbow, left calf, and head, missing an eye tooth. An unspecified reward was offered. It's not clear where Shackelford or Doc are buried. Presumably, Shackelford is buried in a fa family cemetery on the remains of what was his plantation. Doc, as an enslaved man, would be in an unmarked grave wherever that plantation buried their enslaved workers. Our second story tonight is a far darker one. Death is always awful. Murder, worse. Murder and torture is beyond the pale. James Paul was a recent transplant to Mississippi. Originally from Georgia, Paul owns significant amounts of land in the Mississippi Prairie near Artesia, as well as even larger holdings in the Republic of Texas. Paul and his brother, Andrew Paul, a physician, were planters and owned about 20 to 30 slaves each. James Paul was locally known as a cruel man who ruled his slaves with a heavy hand and was previously in trouble with local courts for beating an enslaved woman so badly she could not walk, much less work, for a week. On May 27th of 1843, James Paul's slave, Aaron, had been sanctioned for refusing to work and due to his alleged illness, as Paul would describe it and was lashed with a weighted wagon whip, 20 to 30 lashes, at 10 a.m. Not getting any compliance from Aaron, and considering him sullen and feigning illness again, and it was in quotes in the court documents, Paul forced an iron gag bit in Aaron's mouth, a cruel device that makes it difficult to breathe and impossible to swallow one's own saliva, and very difficult to speak clearly. While gagged in what's called irons and in leg irons called cogs, Aaron was beat once more by Paul, another 10 to 15 lashes. Paul put Aaron in his cabin and at noon went to feed him and asked how he was. Aaron said, not so well. James Paul last checked on Aaron at 1 p.m. Aaron was dead by sundown. James Paul saddled up and went to fetch his brother, Andrew Paul, the doctor. He told Andrew his slave Aaron was either passed out or dead. Andrew confirmed that Aaron was dead. He was. It was now well after sundown. The men carried Aaron's body to a log pile on James Paul's property by horse. 
Andrew grew ill and left to return home, done with the whole affair. James begged him to stay, but Andrew left anyways. He returned one to two hours later as he saw a huge blaze of fire where he'd just left James with Aaron's body. James had lit the logs on fire to burn the body. It is not clear how law enforcement was notified or why, as the court documents are not that thorough. We do know the court ordered Andrew Paul held as an accessory witness on a $10,000 bond. His brother was held on a $20,000 bond for manslaughter and concealing and burning a body. He had additional constraints placed on him as he was considered a flight risk since he was a citizen of the Republic of Texas, as well as a resident of Mississippi. Testimony from one of James Paul's friends and neighbor, William Hogan, revealed that Aaron had run away the previous Saturday night. James Paul had put Aaron in leg cog irons and in gag irons. Allegedly, he Aaron told Andrew Paul he'd get up and go to work if he'd take off his irons, meaning the gag. Andrew removed the gag but left Aaron in the cogs on his legs. James Paul came back to where Andrew Paul, Aaron, and Hogan were standing. Hogan testified he told James he should sell Aaron. James Paul told Hogan he'd never sell Aaron because he did not want to cheat a buyer like he'd been cheated when he bought Aaron at auction. James Paul was indicted for the death of his slave, Aaron, by maltreatment. He was bound over for a trial date of November of 1846 in Columbus. We know the case was continued into 1848 and no conviction is found nor reason for the continuance in the documents found so far. Andrew Paul is last found in Mississippi in the 1846 state census index living in Noxubee County. James Paul also disappears about the same time. In 1848 and beyond, there are two Pauls named James and Andrew found in Galveston, Texas area censuses. Both list connections to Mississippi and their births in Georgia and their parents' births in South Carolina, which is consistent with the James and Andrew Paul of Columbus and Lowndes County. While it is not a positive connection, it's darn, darn coincidental. No exact knowledge is known where the Paul plantations were in the prairie, but the grants the 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 grants are are done in such a way that we know what section and what uh, what area they were in, but not the exact specifics of the address. To find out more about these cases consult the Mississippi State Lantern Project online at mississippistate.edu or go to the Columbus Lowndes County Library archives or their website and click on the link to the, to the Lantern Project. I want to thank you for coming on this little tour of Lowndes County and learning more about our history. Some of it's good and some of it's bad, like tonight, but in our next episode, it'll be something lighter, I promise. Thank you for joining me on the Tom Bigby Tales, and I look forward 
to, to speaking with you and sharing next time.